It's that time of the week again. You are about to participate in a great adventure. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop? What the hell do you think you're doing? It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris. Oh my God! As they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. I wouldn't do that if I were you. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. It's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. As well as the music of today. Excuse me while I whip this out. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Who are those guys? Digital Kill the Radio Star starts. Come on, quit stalling! All right, everyone, welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. This is David, and I'm here on location with my buddy Chris at his house, which is kind of our second recording studio away from home chris good to see you again yeah good to see you in person yeah it's been what a week <laughs> yeah, it has, has it been yeah it's just been a week uh, chris and i are getting ready to go see uh our former guest of the podcast michael graves of the misfits here just a few blocks from your house this is gonna be kind of cool huh uh, it's gonna be really cool because you know if people don't know this he's doing a tour called american monster and he's playing uh, the two misfits records that he was on american psycho and and um, Famous Monsters. He's playing those beginning to end, you know, in order, in their entirety. And it's just going to be super, super cool for me. I love those records. So he's going to be in the monster paint. He is. Yes. Now, when we saw him uh, in St. Louis, I guess it's a year and a half ago, just him and an acoustic guitar. So, uh, and I, honestly, I didn't really know much about him until then. And then um, I really enjoyed that show, even though I only knew a couple of songs. But uh, I was listening to Famous Monsters and Americans, American Psycho. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really sound necessarily like you're what I think of when I think of punk. It's more like a cross between punk and heavy metal. Well, you know, it's like he said, you know, when I, I remember talking to him in that interview. I, I was talking about, did, did, did you bring that heavy sound to him? And he said, well, yeah, that and Doyle. You know, and, and Doyle, everybody always thinks is an original misfit. And yeah, he's Jerry Only's little brother, but he's not an original misfit. I mean, he came late in the game. And what Doyle did play with the original misfits was a little bit heavier. I mean, if you listen to Doyle's solo records, they're, they're like the misfit stuff. So in some ways, even heavier, the, the Michael Graves misfits I'm talking about. So yeah, I mean, I think that the, with Graves and, and uh, Doyle together, is kind of the perfect storm. It gave it a little bit more of that metal sound, but uh, it's catchy. Really catchy. It is, and don't take this the wrong way, but Michael Graves has a really good voice for a punk singer. No, no, he's he's a talented guy, and that's why, you know, you're saying don't take this the wrong way. This is about to say something I've kind of said it before, but I'm this is really a bold statement. But I've got to where I think I enjoy the Graves Misfit stuff better than Glenn, and I and I love that. But it it was just there was. 
Not gonna, it's not so simple. It's still simple, but it's not like the, the Glenn stuff. And like you're right, there's more actual singing. And it was recorded better. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's an understatement. I feel like uh, some of those, when we were coming back from that St. Louis show, you were playing some of those misfits, early misfit songs, and I felt like uh, when I was in like first grade with a boombox and like a microphone plugged into it, I could have done a better job. It's, it's bad, yeah, no doubt. Uh, I guess there's no way to really fix that. Anyway, um, so a lot of new music has come out for both of us recently. Uh, last week, you and I met up and went to see um, Blind Melon in concert, and We'll talk more about that on uh, episode 100 in a couple of weeks because we have a special guest for that one. But uh, on, you were telling me on the way back you need to listen to the new Sturgill Simpson. And uh, uh, I'm familiar with him and know he's kind of a throwback old school country artist. And he, along with Chris Stapleton, I think a lot of people were thinking was going to bring outlaw country back to the forefront. But he has released an album called Sound and Fury that is anything but outlaw country. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do the quote that we do all the time on here, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna make it my own on this. I'm gonna change it up a little bit. To, to, let's see, to quote Liam Gallagher, I knew I didn't have to listen to it to know I was gonna hate it. I knew I was gonna hate it because I'd heard like the first one a little bit, one of the songs, and no, it's not what he is. And I just reluctantly kind of put it on I put it on on the drive over to that Blind Melon show and I was like wow this is good and I I think it's his best record and I love the outlaw country that he's doing but I think it's his best record I've listened to it probably three times all the way through and each time I pick up a little something um, different that I didn't necessarily know uh, pick up on the first time and I mean it, there's a chance it's going to make my top ten I can say without a doubt it will. And it's just super, super creative, too. You know, the fact that he did that when he was this, like you said, this emerging outlaw country artist, and he comes out and puts this record that in some ways you're like, man, what is this? Because, yeah, it's mixing the elements of Southern rock and disco with a Waylon Jennings voice. And that makes for... Yeah, that makes for an interesting sound. It really does. And he also has a film on Netflix to um, coincide with it. Have you watched that? I haven't. Have you? I have not. Well, the other stuff I've been listening to as well, you know, there are, like last Friday, we had several albums that were released. And I don't feel like I've been able to do a deep dive into any of them to give a true review of them just because... I was having to pick and choose what to listen to because four of them that I was really interested in on the same day. But the albums that I'm talking about, the the new Insomnium, which is a melodic death metal kind of in the vein of Amon Amarth. So far, I do like it. Just haven't spent a lot of time with it. And then um, the Menzingers put out their new one, Hello Exile, which I think is just excellent. You know, maybe the... Maybe the best record I've heard by them, the the song Anna, and they're and kind of a pop punk. Right? They're they're like the like uh, like somebody told me they they picked up where Gaslight left off. That just think Gaslight anthem, but Anna and High School Friend just and they're all really good. But that those songs in particular I just love, and then the much talked about new Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds Ghosting is um, man, it's an interesting album. But this it's uh, 
it's dark, it's emotional. Um, it's really just a beautiful record. Uh, if you if you've ever listened to Nick Cave, if you've ever appreciated any of his music, I think he put out a really really solid record. And then the last one is uh, Lucero put out before the Ghost. And so anybody that's like, well, I kind of like Lucero, maybe I'll check that out. If you're not that well versed in them, start with the other stuff because this isn't really this is this isn't new material. This is demos and different versions of the songs that were on um, Among the Ghost. And like Ben, like Ben Nichols of Lucero said, this is for diehard fans. So if you just wanted to get into Lucero, don't pick this one. It's not saying it's bad, but it's not a true representation of what they are. But what album it, would you recommend for people that want to get into them? I'd probably, I would say, I'd probably go with Tennessee or, um, God, I can't even think of the full name of the album right now. Rebels, Rogues, and I always met. That one to me is like Wilco and uh, Foxtrot always say, because I can never remember the order of the words and what they come out with. Just just know Rebels has the kids on the cover, red cover. Those are probably the, the two. And I really like the last one, Among the Ghosts, is really good. But if you want like the true, true Lucero sound, maybe start with Tennessee. What's the one where they started putting the horns on there? Was that like 2112 Overton or something like that? Or? I don't remember the address exactly, but yes, it's Overton. So, yeah, that's the one that somebody gave me the first time to try to get into them. Um, I guess it was a lot of their diehard fans kind of got upset with them over that one. Yeah, and it, don't, don't get me wrong. It has some really good tunes on it. It's um, It does have some good songs on it, but it, it was an adjustment here in the horns on it. And that one is called 1372 Overton Park. I'm looking this up. And the ones I, th- I said, Rebels, Rogues. It's Rebel, Rogues, and Sworn Brothers. That one... That one may be my favorite one. I'd probably go with Rebels, Rogues, and Sworn Brothers in Tennessee. And and the self-titled. All three of those are just fantastic. The Nick Cave album, is that the one you and Rune were tweeting each other about? Yeah. Yeah, I knew he and he was you know, he was talking about this one about a week or two ago and how he's been looking forward to it. I mean, it was just announced. I think it was one where he just Nick Cave kind of kept it hidden. And then it's been I'm sure you've seen it all over your feed. It's kind of been the the buzz, people talking about it. Yeah, are you a big fan of him? I wouldn't say big, but I really like him, and I, I love any. And this, I'd say, if anybody is not familiar with Nick Cave, check out Murder Ballads. It is so good. It's dark, and it's just a cool, cool record. Most of his stuff is acoustic, isn't it? Or no, you probably think it because you say acoustic, you probably interpret that was kind of slower type dreary type and that would be accurate not necessarily acoustic but it's it's not fast upbeat and it's not happy <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh so yeah I, I recommend that Sturgill Simpson like I said I have I have listened to it probably three times and um I don't know if I've, I've talked to you since last I guess last Sunday night I went to see Stone Temple Pilots and Rival Sons at the Fillmore in New Orleans I think I have a new favorite venue to go to a concert um, it's brand new. The Foo Fighters opened it up um, a couple of months ago. It's, um, they built it in on side onto the Harris Casino, and you're familiar with like the Fillmore West in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It looks a lot like it in the in there. It has the chandeliers like they have, but they have the best layout of bars and space I've ever seen. And the sound system is top notch. 
Stone Temple Pilots was, was fine. I'm not a huge fan of theirs. Uh, their new lead singer had a ton of energy. The band just seemed to be going through the steps. Rival Sons blew me away. Best live band I've seen this year. And my buddy Bobby, uh, he went with me and we're driving back. And he was like, I'm so excited because I feel like I have a favorite new band to listen to. Pretty much everybody around us was basically saying, we're going to have to go out and uh, and get their stuff. They were so good. Well, that's what you want to do on the road, especially these days. I mean, you got to draw that crowd and get that excitement album sales isn't the way and it was it was per, a perfect pairing because it was a co-headlining tour so each one of them just did 75 minutes but they were uh they were really really good and um their new album feral roots would probably be my album of the year and in the past i'd listen to their albums and they'd have two or three good songs on there and the rest uh, didn't really do that much for me uh this one there's there's no filler on it and uh they're true rock stars they dress the part act the part their stage show was the part um, so that's I'm, I'm really really excited about their future, and I think the two years they did touring with um, uh, Black Sabbath really really paid off. So before we get to our topic this week, I want to tell everybody to follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed and like our Facebook page Digital Killed the Radio Star, and uh, like us on Instagram. And if you could leave us a rating and review on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, take a picture of that, send it to us, and uh, we'll get a little something to you in the mail. So this week's going to be kind of a quick one. Uh, Chris and I wanted to do one since we were going to be here together and can knock one out instead of having to do it over uh, over Skype. So uh, we were talking and trying to come up with some ideas, and I was like, what if we talk about some of our favorite guitar solos? Because we're almost 100 episodes in, and uh, it's a music-based podcast, and we never really have uh, we never really have really even touched this topic. Yeah. And it's a, it's a tough one just because it, it, these these kind are always really tough because how do you, with so many good guitar solos, I, I'm going to tell you a lot of it is just what comes to your mind at the moment. It doesn't mean that, I mean, next week mine could be, my list could be so different. I, I know there's one or two of these that would be on no matter what, but most of the other ones, it could be different the next week. And it's just because it's what hits me when I'm thinking. So I, I do want to stress that this is not, I'm not saying these are the, the greatest, most technical genius solos ever that any, that's ever been written. It's just what I, what I like and what I was thinking of at the moment. Same here. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to have issues with some of ours. And uh, like you said, it's, it's music is so subjective that um, we, uh, you know, it's just, it's how it makes you feel. And, and that's what we're going to go with. So we're each just going to talk about five. Um, I wouldn't say, I would say, you know, like you said, if in two weeks I could give you a totally different list except for one. So one of mine is always going to be on there. But um, why don't you, uh, why don't you kick things off? What do you want to do? You want me to just read them all out? Yeah, one by one? yeah, let's read them all out and talk about them. All right. First one I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Led Zeppelin, Heartbreaker. That is, uh, I don't know, you got to... You you kind of got to put Jimmy Page on the list, and that's my that's always been my favorite solo by Jimmy Page. I love the way it's just you hear it, and you can see, you can envision Jimmy Page out on the middle of a stage with a spotlight out him because on him because all the other music stops and it's just him playing, and that solo just absolutely rips. Um, like I said, I think it's the best playing. It's cool, and it's just unique in the way that the music just stops, and it's just him. The spotlight is put on him. 
not only is it a great solo, it's one of the most memorable opening riffs of any song. Yeah. In classic rock. Yeah, and, and like I said, with him, he, there's there's so many great solos that he did. You know, I, I know people get tired of hearing, you know, Stairway to Heaven, but just think how good that solo is. The solo's great. And, and, there, and there's so many great solos that he did, but this one just really stands out. It's a little bit more aggressive. It's a little bit more in your face. Like I said, I just envision him, the spotlight on him. I love the song, and, and it's, it wouldn't have come to mind for me when you know we said to list the top five, but then when you were like, this is one I'm picking, I'm like, of course, it makes complete sense. And it's one that would probably be in my list next week and the week after. It's one of the, where I said there's two of them, this is one of them. So we've hardly ever even mentioned Led Zeppelin on this podcast, which is kind of odd. Are you a big Zeppelin fan? Well, I was, and I don't mean that as in uh, say no. Yeah, I like them. And um, have a ton of appreciation for him. And, I, and yeah, I like him a lot, actually. But I definitely did what I feel. I heard Bob Mould say this one time. You know, there was a documentary he did. And he was talking about how he went through, and this was the exact words he said, his obligatory Led Zeppelin phase. And if you're a young male around seventh grade and you like rock, how do you not go through Led Zeppelin? Just my opinion. I, re- I mean, I liked them in high school, but then in college, I got that box set, like I think everybody else did. It had, you know, the bonus tracks, like, hey, hey, what can I do on it? And really fell in love with them and then got into the albums. But um, after Physical Graffiti, it gets... It gets it's not great. It gets very very hit or miss and a lot of misses. There's still some really good stuff. Oh, but, yes. But, um, yeah, I mean, and, and you, you, I stop and think sometimes, I, like, what's, what's my favorite Zeppelin album? I, I don't even know. You know, I... I think two is, is it might be, you know, which is of course what Heartbreakers off of. Uh, I love House of the Holy and I love Presence. Not a lot of songs on it, but man, Presence is good. So, yeah, the way I'm spitting out all this stuff immediately without even thinking about it, it does show you. Yeah, I do like Zep- Led Zeppelin. We, we, <coughs> we probably need to do a Zeppelin episode. We probably do. It's I know I've been talking a lot. I think we were going to play some clips. So I'll, I'll, before I move to the next one, why don't you just play the solo? All right, here's Heartbreaker. <laughs> So as I move on, 
I'm going to go to one that, this is one that might not would be on my list the next week. Again, it's just what came to my mind. And I don't know why. Uh, it just kind of hit me. I really like the solo to White Wine's Little Fighter. And anybody that's listening to this, maybe they're not in like the hair music or whatever, maybe laughing at me. Well, our, just, our buddy Caton is, is doing praise hands. Right yeah, but, but the thing <laughs> is, if you're not really into that kind of music, that's fine. But listen to the solo. Just listen to it. It is technical. It is good. It just it's it's technical and it's super super cool sounding, and then just the way it goes right out of it and goes into that little soft same way with the intro. I love whatever that is he's doing. Vito Brada, that is the guitarist. I just think I just think it's a great solo. I don't have anything other to say other than it just popped in my head and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go with that one. That's a cool solo. Everything the guy played was really good and has one of the more distinctive tones. He does. You, and, and Mike Tramp has a very distinctive voice. So, I mean, it, it, it that really goes together. But you can hear the music before Mike Tramp starts to sing and you know that's Vito. Yeah, exactly. And they were one of those bands that they were probably a little bit of the softer type of the hair bands. So, they're one definitely like, like where Ozzy said, well, it may be metal, but it ain't heavy. <laughs> So with that, I set myself up for my next one. I'm going with the go to Ozzy Osbourne, and I'm going to go with Mr. Randy Rhodes and Mr. Crowley. Man, what a solo! And you know, I know we were going to we were we're going to play this one in a second. And you asked me, it's like, well, what do you want me to play? You want me to play the, the just the main solo or the outro? And that's that's a good question because it's really kind of two solos in it, and they're both great. But the one I told you to play was just that, yeah, you know, the main guitar solo. And first of all, absolutely, absolutely one of my favorite Ozzy Osbourne songs, Solo Ozzy. One of my, probably easily top five. I love the song. I love to play it. And I think this is where, as I said, that was, The Heartbreaker was my favorite Jimmy Page solo. This is definitely my favorite Randy Rhodes solo. It's so cool. It's a great solo. And, and Randy Rhodes, I think, had the ability to play a ton of notes fast. A lot of people, when they do that, to me, it's just, it's almost like it's so fast you can't really pick the notes out. He could play them fast, but still invoke emotion with the playing, which a lot of peep shredders cannot do that. Yeah. And that solo is a great, uh, a great example. So here is the guitar solo in Mr. Crowley. Next up, I'm going to go with one that is not from a rocker, but but he brought in a special guest to play on a song, and this is the King of Pop, Michael Jackson. And people, if they're maybe they're not super into like the guitar stuff like we are, like why in the world is he picking a Michael Jackson song? Well, the song "Beat It" had Eddie Eddie Van Halen like really kind of at his prime, and 
that's not just me saying it. That's thought of as one of these genius solos. And, and this is one where the Eddie Van Halen solo I picked might be different next week. But this one to me is just a great, great solo. And when you're talking about playing a lot of notes, listen to this solo and towards the end of it, you can hear that he's picking the notes. Every one of those last notes, you can tell he's picking them, which is just to, so it shows you that right hand, how fast that is just moving, picking the, picking out those notes. But this solo has just the, just the, all the, I mean, everything that was big about Eddie, the crazy whammy dives, the, the tapping, that fast picking, everything. And it, I mean, this is just Eddie Van Halen putting on a clinic. There's a lot of mythology around the solo. He didn't get paid or he did get paid. And like I've read that he got paid like a six pack of beer or something. And they called him up and he just did the solo. There's a really, it's, it's very, very grainy footage, but he did perform this live with Michael one time, which is, it's, it's really, it's really cool to see. This is one of his best solos he's ever done. I agree. And I mean, I'm sure some of the diehard Van Halen people out there may get a little upset with us, but I mean, it really is. Go stack it up. I and mean, it's one of the more memorable ones. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love it. I, matter of fact, when we had this topic, I was almost like, am I going to get grief if I pick uh, Michael Jackson beat it? But I'm like, it's Eddie Van Halen. You're, you're not picking a Michael Jackson song. Right. You're picking an Eddie Van Halen solo. And it was literally at the height of their popularity. You know, right about the time 1984 came. Yeah. Out. So, uh, yeah, I cannot argue with that one at all. Well, all right. Well, my last one is um, I'm going to go with the band that really made, in my opinion anyway, made the dual guitar sound. They, they're the ones who first really did it. I think they're the ones that opened the door for bands like Judas Priest and, and Iron Maiden, and that's Thin Lizzy. Another band we don't talk about a ton on here that I know we brought up, but just a great, great rock band and a band that really did a lot for hard rock and, and guitarists with what they did, the dual guitarist. It wasn't a lead and a rhythm. It was two lead. And I picked the song Rose and Dub off Black Rose. And this has what was probably the definitive lineup as far as the players. Because, you know, Scott Gorham, who was with them, you know, on pretty much every record, and Gary Moore. Gary Moore didn't play on much, but he was, it was Gary Moore and Scott Gorham on this record. And the song Rose and Dub, Black Rose, A Rock Legend. Yes, that's the full name of the song. That is one like Mr. Crowley where there's just a great solo. And then Phil comes back in with the vocals. And then there's a lot of outro playing. So it's kind of like, well, where's the solo? I'll just say all of it. And it's a lot of trade-offs. And it's just great, great dual guitar playing. This is the one I had to go look up and listen because I'd never heard it before. And uh, I, I agree with you. It's really good. And they literally invented a sound. Yeah. I mean, invented a sound that, honestly, a lot of other people have had a hard time, you know, making it work. Iron Maiden stands to mind that they made it work. Judas Priest. Priest. But there's not a whole lot of other people that... Not um, really. And the thing is, who needs it? Who needs... Right. Two lead players, and that's—I mean—that's probably what people thought. But I think they showed really what you can get out of it. And like I said, not many people, not many do it. And it's more in the the 
when you see it, it seems like it's more in the metal world that does right. it. But, you know, I do believe they were hugely influential. I mean, I've even heard James Hetfield was on, on an interview and somebody asked him, you know, where that came from. And they named a band, you know, as he said, well, no, really it was Thin Lizzy. You know, so Metallica, there you go, influenced James Hetfield with the two, two guitars. This was the band that influenced him. You know, Gary Moore had another band. Do you remember their name? I know he's done a lot of stuff. He had one, though, that another band had to buy the rights to before they could use the name. I don't know. Skid Row. Oh, really? I think I've heard that. They had they had to they had to go and buy the rights to be able to use it because he had a band called Skid Row. And I knew there was a Skid Row. I don't know. I, I say I think I heard that. I don't know if I have heard that, that Gary Moore was the band that was Skid Row. I knew there was another Skid Row. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Good um, good pick there and uh, a good set of picks. Kind of, uh, honestly, uh, when I sent you that idea, your picks are a little more mainstream than I thought they were going to be. I was expecting like some Johnny Marr. No, but no. But he really doesn't solo. No, so. no. And, and, that, and that, if I did that, let's, let's be honest, I would have looked like I was trying to be different too. I, I would have been like Steve Wright. You know? So <laughs> we, if you're listening to us, Steve, yeah, that you, one's Steve. for you. <laughs> All right. So uh, my five, uh, a couple of these would probably be on here no matter what. Uh, some of them may change out. And I tried to pick things that gave that were different styles of music. But my first one is always going to be, it's my favorite guitar solo. It's one of my favorite pieces of music. It's Pink Floyd's Comfortably Numb on the live Pulse uh, album. It's a different, a little bit of a longer and different solo than on the, uh, the wall. And uh, the visuals that go along with this are amazing, but the playing is insane. And my buddy Kyle Noll, who's been on the podcast, he's a massive Floyd freak. And he said that, when they were filming that, he would not let the cameras uh, video his fingers uh, on certain parts of the solo because he wanted to keep it a mystery uh, to other people what he was really doing. But this is one of the most powerful pieces of music um, I've, I've ever heard. I was letting a buddy of mine at work a couple years ago. I was like, "You gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta listen to this." And the hair was—he said the hair was standing up on his arms. It was so good. Um, maybe. He's up. At least he's in the same neighborhood with Clapton as the greatest Strat player of all time, at least in rock music. I'm sitting there thinking, and I don't know. It took me a lot of time to actually go through that one. But no, I mean he's a great guitarist, and I, I don't. I, I got to be honest. I don't. I, I've probably heard it, but I can't think of the the exact like, live version of it that you're talking about. But just the studio version is great. And one thing I really like about Gilmer's playing is his bends. I really like his bends. I know that's kind of random, but they're they're kind of slow, and and sometimes he'll kind of do. And I know people can't see my visual what I'm showing David, where he just kind of just keeps pushing up slowly, like stepping up mm-hmm. instead of just a straight up bend. And I, I always thought that's kind of a unique trait that he did. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to play for us right now the solo from the Pulse album "Comfortably Numb" by Pink Floyd.
I think we can both completely uh, agree on, and that's Hangar 18 by Megadeth. This, the soloing by Mustaine and uh, Marty Friedman, it's an all-out assault. The last two minutes or so of the um, uh, of the song, and what I think so cool about it, you know, they have that little breakdown every couple of bars or whatever and then it's another solo and each one of them just gets faster and faster and you're like there's no way it can get any faster than uh than than that and i think they're trading solos on that i meant to look that up but it's 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 one long solo it's just two different people playing it but uh one of the great thrash songs of all time and one of the great thrash solos of all time yeah it's an absolute shred fest and and, you know there's another band that i bet you i I bet you was influenced by then lizzie well they covered cold sweat two albums ago you know what? Exactly. And and I knew they did that. And I, I wasn't even thinking that when I said, I bet you this was a huge influence on them. But, yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with a Megadeth pick. I mean, come on. Especially, Steve Mustaine and whatever genius guitar player he has at the moment. I'm so excited about this new album because the last one was so good. And yeah. you've got to think uh, Mustaine's health issues may lead to some even better songwriting and playing. Uh, I know they're they're in the recording stages of it, and uh, by all accounts, I've heard they think this treatment was successful. So that's good. Uh, we need a we need a healthy Dave Mustaine. All right, so the next one is 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 one that's out in left field, and I chose this because it goes to show you that you don't have to be Marty Friedman or you don't have to be David Gilmore uh, to play a uh, an amazing solo with a lot of meaning. There's a song on Pearl Jam's Avocado album called Comeback. The, the solo is as simple as can be, but it's a great example of making the solo fit the song. And the last couple of seconds of the song, um, to me, just really, really, really moved me. And to, to kind of bookend how good I think it is, on their last live album, Government Mule covered it, and I was getting excited. I was like, oh, I'm going to hear Warren Haynes play this solo. And Warren Haynes is one of my favorite guitar players, and he couldn't do it like Mike McCready. Um, so I'm going to play for you real quick before we come back. I'm going to play the solo. Creedy's one of those players that I don't think gets a ton of credit because he falls into the grunge category. And I know Pearl Jam's not really grunge now, anyway. Um, Classic rock. Well, yeah, but even, I mean, I'm talking about the new music. It's not, there's nothing grunge about it. But, no, he, he's always had, he's always been a really good player. And he, he, I, this song, and think of like Yellow Ledbetter and all, they have really good feel and emotion in them. And, and I know exactly the song you're talking about, and I know the the solo you're talking about. And yeah, it's not well, like Yellow Leadbetters. That's that's like a that's like a Hendrix type song, and it's just incredible playing. But this one is a little bit more simple. But yeah, I, I think it just has heart in it, and that goes a long way. Yeah, goes a long way. All right, so <clears throat> you can't have a uh, discussion of guitar players. We've had Eddie Van Halen. You got to have Jimi Hendrix. And my favorite Jimi Hendrix song is Little Wing. 
And one of the reasons I like this is his solo one, it's a little more melodic than some of his other stuff. It's not as much blues-based uh, as some of his other stuff. And also when I'm, when I'm thinking about like influence, look at who else covered this song. Stevie Ray Vaughan, Derek and the Dominoes, Eric Clapton. All of those people we would agree, you know, upper echelon. Um, and this one just has a unique sound to it. And I, it's kind of a long, you know, drawn out solo at the end. And uh, I can't think about this song without thinking about when I went to experience Hendrix and saw I was front row, the only time I've ever been front row for anything. And Zach Wilde is 10 feet away from me and he plays the entire solo with his guitar behind his head and still looking like he could beat up anybody that came near the stage at the same time. And actually during the solo, he comes down and I actually like, hit him on his back as he, as he comes past me. But Jimi Hendrix, uh, one of the greatest guitar players of all time, probably one of the two or three most influential of all time. And Little Wing, uh, uh, just a, a great song and really sticks out in his catalog uh, from his other songs, in my opinion. It does, in, in, in the fact that most is, yeah, it's, it's more of a, I don't know, almost like a sweet sounding song, you know? <laughs> And that's not really what his his music was, and it does have great great playing. Uh, just I mean, that's no what we're talking about, but just the chords that he's hitting in that song too are so cool, sound so good. But but no, no great and just great outro playing. Yeah, no, I, I and you're right. It's you, you almost have to pick a Hendrix song, and there's so many to choose from because we talk about influential. Yeah, I mean, I what immediately comes to my mind. You you tell me, hit me with your most in, influential right now. I'm gonna pro, I'm gonna say, of course, Jimi Hendrix, Eddie Van Halen, Randy Rhodes. I might throw in like a Jimmy Page, you know, and from the metal world, maybe somebody like Tommy Iommi. But he's he's Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I mean, without question, he's no kind of who everybody goes back to. It all kind of starts with him, especially with the distortion. Yeah. He's the one that's kind of... All right, my last one. <clears throat> Whereas, uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank. Black Rose. Um, the the band. I'm, I'm Thin Lizzy. Thin Lizzy. <laughs> I, I thought you said Black Crows. Yeah. I thought that's what you said. No, uh-uh. Thin Lizzy, uh, where they were the, the people that started the twin guitar attack. The people that started the triple guitar attack were Leonard Skinner and the outro solo on Freebird. Whereas Megadeth... Um, Hangar 18 is a shred fest. This is a Southern rock shred fest for the last couple of minutes. And really one of the few bands to make the triple guitar attack really work. I, I know Iron Maiden has it now. But they weren't always that way. They weren't. Yeah, they, yeah, weren't they weren't until Dickinson came back. So Because people don't know a whole lot about Maiden, Dickinson left. And when they got back, I want to say it was around 2001, Bruce brought Yannick from his solo band and brought him into the band. Speaking of, did you see that video where he was twirling his guitar and it flew off the stage? No, but that didn't surprise me. I mean, how, how could that not eventually happen? Before we get back to the do you think he's actually really playing in concert? Like, it's he's so, it's just so, like... Yeah, I think he's playing. I don't think those guys are going to get up there and... But but they're not dependent on him to carry the sound. I mean, because he's just kind of... He's all over the place. I know, but I mean, he's, he's a great player. They all are. Yeah. You know? and, and he gets his solo time when you go see a, a show. Yeah. I mean, he's not just up there just because... It's not like Axel bringing in one of his buddies to play with Guns N' Roses. Right. It's just going to stand out and just strum chords. Right. He's, a, he's a legit player. All right, so getting back to uh, to Freebird, when I, sometimes before we do these podcasts, I'll kind of tease our topic and had several people mention this solo to me. 
and uh, and also our friend Shannon mentioned uh, I think Little Wing. So I got two of what a lot of people were talking about. But man, that is just that's just a great show, especially live. Those live versions are, are really good. And it, it when you think about the influence they have, it's I feel like in the last couple of years they get more of their due. You know, they had that uh, documentary come out a couple of years ago, and I've heard a lot of people that like you wouldn't think would be into Southern rock, real like metalheads being like, man, it kind of started with Leonard Skinner for me. And th- they just started that sound and basically started the Southern rock movement. I mean, people say the Amer brothers, but I think the Leonard Skinner's more Southern rock than the Amer brothers are more kind of a bluesy jam jazz band, to be honest with you than them. But I mean, one of the all time great solos, one of the memorable solos from the seventies, which, uh, you know, was kind of guitar God, the time for all that. No, I, I I can't I don't I can't argue with the pick, and yeah, it's great playing. It's a memorable song, and it's one of the all time classics. But yeah, like you said about mine, I, I can't argue those picks. They're they're all solid picks. I, I think we just named ten really good solos. We could put a put a pretty good band together with those ten guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's there's some re- and there's some real real amazing guitarists. Who are some, who are some guitarists from kind of newer bands that you look at and? Uh, you kind of put me on the spot there, but you know when I think of, I'll tell you one that I that I really like a lot in in the hard rock metal. That's at uh, Sinister Gates of Vince Sevenfold. I think he's really, really, really good. Um, I, I actually I, I'd have to really think about it, but I know he's he's a good one. Um, I'm sitting here trying to think of recent stuff that I've been You into. like that guy from Meshuga, don't you? No, I don't really listen. I don't listen oh, to Oh, I thought you were... Huh. Uh-uh. No, you probably... Must, you maybe just confuse me with somebody else. While I think about it, just some that, are there some that you're into? Um, Marcus King come, comes to mind. He's going to be here in a couple of weeks. I'm going to try to go see him again. Uh, he's kind of got the Warren Haynes feel, and um, he's really good. Tyler Bryant, they just had a big spread in um, Fender Magazine. I mean, in a... Um, and one of the magazine, one of the guitar magazines about him. I think Fender is doing a lot for him. And those are two like really young guys. Um, I mean, people that didn't come from like the classic rock frame uh, time frame. Warren Haynes really sticks out to me. Um, I, I'm going to say this because because I don't like the guy and I don't like his music, but I cannot argue with the fact that basically everybody knows the guitar plays phenomenal. Says John Mayer. No, I agree. I think his music absolutely sucks. I mean, sucks bad, too. I mean, like, real bad sucks. But I've seen him play when I don't have to be bothered by his singing. And, yeah, he can play. There, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, and I know he doesn't do a ton of leads these days, but Butch Walker is still a great guitarist. He's not really thought of that way because he, I don't know, he, he's like he never shows his, his true skills anymore. You know, he, he doesn't do that, do a lot of the shredding. But... You know, I'd have to sit back and go through some of the recent stuff. I mean, there's a lot of the metal bands that I'm listening to, the stuff that are playing really good. You know, those those guys in Amon Amarth, they can they can really play. But like I said, you just passed me right off who I thought of, and I thought of Sinister Gates. I think his playing is. Are you a Vince Sevenfold fan? You know, I used to listen to him a lot. I don't really anymore, and I haven't bought anything new of theirs and probably 10 years but I would go see them live just to watch and the other guy is good too but Sinister Gates is 
He's the real deal. Is that his birth name? I think so. I think so. <laughs> it, last name is Gates. Yeah. First name is dad's name, Cemetery. <laughs> yeah. Cemetery, and this is my son, Sinister. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. This was a nice, quick one for you. And uh, we'll be back soon with uh, episode 98 and episode 99. We're getting toward 100. Uh, we got a very special guest, and we're excited about that. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Take care.